Welcome to the Side Hustle Project, a podcast where we explore the nitty-gritty details behind what it takes to start and grow a profitable side hustle. I'm your host, Ryan Robinson, and in this podcast, I'm bringing you interviews with entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, CEOs, investors, and people just like you who are building and profiting from interesting side hustles. In today's episode, we're talking to Nir Eyal, the author of the brand new book in stores and online this week called Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. Nir may sound familiar to you because we've had him here on the podcast a couple of years ago to talk about his previous best-selling book, Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. Nir holds an MBA from the Stanford Graduate School of Business, where he's also been a guest lecturer. He's a behavior investigator, an angel investor, and entrepreneur who's worked with companies like Eventbrite, Product Hunt, and more. Nir started two tech companies himself, one of which was a gaming company that got acquired. And on top of all of this, Nir somehow still finds time to sit down and write about psychology, technology, and business on his blog, nearandfar.com. In this episode, Nir and I talk about how he came up with the idea for his brand new book, Indistractable, and we break down his system for how to stay more focused both in work and your personal life by strategically eliminating distractions, then putting rules and triggers in place to reinforce those right behaviors. We dig into the difference between external triggers like phone notifications and internal triggers like the subconscious thoughts and feelings that make us pull out our phone and scroll through email or Instagram, including how you can reshape those habits for increased productivity. We explore his best advice for achieving work-life balance, remaining more productive while working remotely, and more. As always, you can find everything we mentioned in today's episode in the show notes at ryrob.com slash podcast. That's spelled R-Y-R-O-B dot com slash podcast. Let's get into today's interview with Nir Al. Nir, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Great to be here. Well, the pleasure is all mine. And this is actually the second time I've had you on the podcast. During our very first conversation, we spoke mostly um, about how to build a habit-forming product, something that uh, brands like Facebook, Apple, Google have done very well. But uh, today we're talking about something that is almost the opposite of that, which you cover in your brand new book, Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. What was the impetus of this book? Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's, it seems like a dichotomy, right? It seems like a contradiction, but somebody once told me that wisdom is found in the apparent contradiction. So there really is, if you actually think about it, uh, at least in my mind, there's no contradiction here because, you know, I help folks build habit-forming products for healthy habits, for the kind of products that people if they used, would improve their lives. That's what Hooked was for. Hooked wasn't written for, you know, the gaming companies and YouTube and Facebook. They have known these techniques forever and ever. What I want to do with Hooked uh, and the conversation we had last time is about how does everyone use these techniques? How do we get these techniques to help people exercise more and eat healthier and build habits around saving money and being more productive at work? And that's what's happened over the past five years. I mean, there's just dozens of companies now that have used the hook model to build these healthy habits. Now, the other side of this is that sometimes we get too engaged in certain products and services. So what I wanted to do was to give an in by knowing the psychology of how these products are designed to get you engaged. What do we do for some of the products, the very few, I should say, that sometimes cause distraction? What, what's going on there? How do we understand the deeper root cause of distraction? And it turns out what I thought would be a book about tech distraction turned out to be really about the psychology of all distraction. So it became much deeper than I originally expected. But uh, five years in, it took me five years to write this book, uh, I learned that, uh, that, that the root cause is actually far more interesting than just blaming the latest technology. 
Yeah, I can imagine it's very deep seated. Can you can you kind of like dive into that a little bit more? Expand, um, you know, our definition of what distraction really is. Yeah, and that's and that's a terrific place to start is with the definition. Words really matter, and so we toss around a lot of these words, but it's really helpful to actually clarify what exactly we're talking about. So. In order to understand what is distraction, we have to understand what is the opposite of distraction. It's not focus. Focus is what you choose to do with your time. You choose to spend your time focused. The opposite of distraction is traction. Traction and distraction both come from the same Latin root. They come from the word trahare, which means to pull. So traction is any action that you take that pulls you towards what you want. It's things that you do with intent. The opposite of traction is anything you do that pulls you away from what you plan to do, anything that you are doing without uh, intent, anything that, that is not traction. So this is super important for a few reasons. One, it gets us out of this puritanical mindset that some things are good and some things are bad, right? That playing video games uh, or Candy Crush is somehow morally inferior to watching a football game. That's rubbish. <laughs> Anything you choose to spend your time doing, whether it's watching a football game, reading a book, uh, work, emails, whatever what you want to do can be traction or distraction based on whether you planned to do that thing. So what I wanted to do with this book, with Indistractable, is to give people a toolkit to help them live their life with intent, with personal integrity. You know, we all know that we would not want to lie to others. To be a liar is one of the worst things that anyone could ever call you. And yet, we lie to ourselves all the time. We, we basically know what to do, right? The, the problem is not that we don't have knowledge about what to do. We know, hey, if you want to be healthy, you know, a chocolate cake is not as healthy as a healthful salad. That if you want to have good relationships, you have to be fully present with people. If you want to be really good at your job, you have to do the work to actually improve. However, we don't do these things, right? Why don't we do what we know we should be doing? So that's what becoming indistractable is all about. Not just about these tech distractions, which oftentimes get in our way, but why don't we do anything that we say we're going to do? Yes. And I like the the kind of the context you wrap this in too with, you know, distraction is something that kind of leads you astray from what your plans are, right? So there's kind of this this necessary foundation that you should first know what you want to do or where you want to go. Does that sound right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So you can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. Mm-hmm. So in researching this book, I talked to a lot of folks, uh, and I would put myself in this category before I knew how to, how to become indistractable. But a lot of people, uh, when I asked them, hey, you know, I'm really sorry that you sound so distracting. You know, they tell me, oh, you know, Twitter is distracting me, and my boss is distracting me, and my kids are distracting me, and this and that. Everything's distracting me. I can't get anything done. And then I'd say, you know, that's, that's really awful. Can you tell me what it is that you got distracted from today? What did you plan to do? And they'll take out their phones. And they'll kind of, you know, sheepish hand, sheepishly hand it to me. And on their phones, when they open their calendar app, it'll be blank. It'll be like a dentist appointment maybe or something. <laughs> so it turns out that two-thirds of people out there don't keep a calendar. Even the third who do keep a calendar don't keep what's called a time-boxed calendar. Now, keeping a time-boxed calendar uses this technique that's been around for a very long time. It's backed by many peer-reviewed studies, as is everything in my book. I don't, I don't just you know, talk about personal anecdotes, everything in the book is from a peer review journal. One of these techniques is called setting an implementation intention, which has been studied hundreds of times and is basically just a fancy way of saying, 
uh, that you're going to plan what you're going to do and when you're going to do it. So in this day and age, if you don't plan your day, someone else will. And that means that we have to plan our day down to the minute. So I actually have a, a tool. I'll give you a link in the show notes that I built because I got asked about this so much. The idea here is that you want to create a weekly template for what your ideal week looks like. Okay. Now, in your, your ideal week, once you retire or once you're on vacation, I don't know, you have to include the practicalities of life like commuting and feeding yourself and hygiene and all those things as well. But you want to have a template for what your ideal week looks like so that you can turn your values into time. So I made this mistake all the time. You know, I would, uh, if you ask me uh, what's important to you, I'd say, oh, my family, my health, uh, that's what's really important to me. But if you looked at my calendar, you wouldn't see those things. And so if we are going to talk the talk, we have to walk the walk. We have to put our values, we have to turn our values into time by making a place for it on our calendar. So that's what this idea of making time for traction is all about. Man, I think by the time we're done with this conversation, my neck's going to be sore. I've been nodding furiously over <laughs> here. And I, just as kind of a, a fun experiment, I pulled up my own calendar to see, you know, how well I do this because this is something I've been trying to, you know, do well myself over the past couple of years. I, I've got, you know, like looking at my calendar yesterday from 9 a.m. to 2.30 p.m., I was working on just writing, right? And so from 2.30 to 5, it was editing a different mm-hmm. article that I had mm-hmm. in my pipeline. So this is something where... I think, you know, I've always been pretty good about scheduling blocks of time for work and, you know, protecting time so that I don't get distracted by email and notifications and stuff. Um, But I also like the component of scheduling the other important areas of your life, Um, you know, not necessarily down to the, you know, 15 minute uh, constraint of, of, you know, how long bath time should last or how long story (laughs) time should last. But uh, I love the idea of making sure that you also create that important time and space for yeah. personal things. By the way, and you're, you're one of the most productive people I know. I mean, in the past <laughs> five years, you've accomplished amazing things. So that trait, what you do now is part of your routine. I mean, you can testify to how impactful this is. It's something you see across the board with C-level executives. You know, if you watch C-level executives, every single one I know, they're carrying around a clipboard with their schedule for the day right? We need to watch that and adopt similar practices. And so it's not just about what you do at work. If your friends are valuable, if your family is valuable to you, if your personal health and wellness is valuable to you, there has to be time for those things, those values on your schedule. I love it. So Nir, when it comes to distractions, um, I think, you know, kind of the obvious ones that most people think about are um, what you like to call external triggers. Um, you know, the dings, the notifications, the pings we get from, from Slack, email, text, you name it. Um, but as you talk about in the new book, there are also internal triggers that throw people off, you know, arguably even more, right? Compulsively Absolutely. checking your email to see if you, if you have something new come in, refreshing the Twitter for Twitter notifications. Um, what do you think is kind of a, a process or maybe a framework to think about learning how to reshape that, that like internal um, trigger? Absolutely. Know? So uh, yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned it. So there, so there are two things that can lead us to traction or distraction. Uh, and they're not necessarily good or bad. This isn't a value judgment, but we know that, that these two things prompt us. If it, if it prompts us to traction, that's something we plan to do with intent that's leading us towards traction. If, uh, if it leads us to distraction, if something that we didn't plan to do, then that's not good for us, right? That's, that's something we didn't plan to do. That's a distraction. These two things are either 
an internal trigger or an external trigger. So the external trigger, you know, these, we'll be very familiar with these, right? The pings, the dings, the rings, all of these things in our environment that prompt us to traction or distraction. So in the book, I talk about these eight different environments that we need to ask ourselves this critical question of, is this internal trigger serving me or am I serving it? And if I am serving it, we got to get rid of it. We got to figure out ways to adjust it. And so, of course, there's the usual suspects like our phones and our computers. But what I think a lot of people don't think about are the older technologies or the older practices that are just as pernicious, if not more pernicious, at distracting us. So, for example, one of the biggest sources of distraction in, in the modern, uh, for the modern, modern knowledge worker is the open floor plan office. Right, an, mm-hmm. a, a coworker stopping by your desk, or your boss stopping by your desk and saying, "Hey, you want to just chit chat for a bit?" If you planned to work on something and you're interrupted, your work suffers. Right, and so there's tactics for how to deal with that. Meetings, for the love of God, meetings. How much of a distraction <laughs> are meetings? So I talk about how to how to make meetings indistractable. So there's eight different environments. So we that that's covered there as well, but. What's actually, I would argue, even more important and comes earlier in the book and is something that I haven't seen anyone else cover, but is critically important when it comes to doing what we say we're going to do to truly being productive and focused in our lives is to stir the internal triggers because most distraction starts from within. These internal triggers are uncomfortable emotional states that we seek to escape. So when we're feeling lonely, we check Facebook. When we're uncertain, we Google. When we're bored, we check the news, stock prices, sports scores, Reddit. We use these products to satiate an uncomfortable feeling. Mm -hmm. So that means if our behavior is prompted by the desire to escape discomfort, that means, therefore, that time management is pain management. And if we don't learn fundamentally how to deal with that discomfort to either fix the source of the problem or learn techniques to cope with them, we will always get distracted by something. This really cuts to the core, um, even for me, right? So uh, someone who I feel pretty productive, um, outwardly, a lot of people I know <laughs> would think of me as a pretty productive person. Um, but sometimes I'll find myself refreshing my inbox or you know, scrolling through Instagram for news or, or memes that are funny. Um, so I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm immune to this at all myself. What, what would you say to someone like me who wants to uh, get better at this? Yeah, so it's fundamentally by understanding the four parts of, of this model. So becoming indistractable does not mean you never get distracted. It means you strive to do what you say you're going to do. It means you're the kind of person that doesn't keep getting distracted, right? So if you keep getting distracted by the same thing over and over again, as I used to, 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 to get distracted by the same thing over and over again, then you're not learning, right? This is insanity. You're doing the same self-defeating behaviors. So the idea here now is that you will have a model. And you can look at this model. There's only four parts to it. And you can understand this model. I'll give you a link in the show notes to to show you the picture of the model. It's this four-part picture that you can use to say, ah, I got it. That's what's distracting me. It's an internal trigger. So how do I either fix the source of the discomfort or learn better tactics to cope with it? Oh, it's a scheduling problem. It's about, it's about turning your, uh, it's about making time for traction. So I didn't, I didn't properly plan my day. Or it's an external trigger. It's something that uh, some kind of ding ring, somebody interrupted you while you were doing something and that distracted you. And the final tactic, and this is kind of the, the, the advanced course, is the last tactic, which we didn't talk about yet, 
which is about preventing distraction with pacts. It's called using a pre-commitment device. Uh, this is something we, we do last, right? It's only ha- you do it only after you've done the other three steps. Uh, but these are ways to keep yourself in where the other techniques are about keeping distraction out. Uh, and, and so that's, that's a more advanced course, which is last in the book. But it's really about using these things in concert and in order, starting with the internal triggers. Because again, if we don't learn these techniques to cope with our discomfort in a healthier manner, we'll always get distracted by something, right? For me, even after I took, I took the advice of so many of these books and they say, you know, go on a digital detox, do this 30 day plan, get rid of your tech. Mm -hmm. I did it. I did it. I said, okay, well that must be the source of the problem because all the books say it's the source of the problem. So I'll do it. It didn't freaking work because I got rid of my uh, uh, devices. I got a, 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 um, a feature phone on Alibaba that just did calling and text messages. I got a word processor off eBay with no internet (laughs) connection and I still got distracted, right? I, organize my desk. I take out the trash. I'd read a book on my bookcase behind me because I hadn't dealt with the internal triggers. So that has to be the very first step. Can you tell us about, you know, maybe an example of a change you've made in your own life that kind of helped you stay more focused on your key priorities now? Oh my God, just name it. There's so many. I mean, I'm, I'm today, I, I'm more productive than ever. I finished my second book here. Um, I'm, uh, I spend more quality time with my family than before. Uh, I have more time for my friends. I'm in better health than ever before. That's probably been one of the most dramatic changes because I, I used to be clinically obese and, um, I always hated exercise and I would make every excuse for why I, I wouldn't exercise regularly. And uh, since I, I uncovered and put these techniques into practice, uh, that's been a really, really dramatic change is that I, I have gained muscle, I've lost fat, uh, and I do what I say I'm going to do. And again, I'm not saying that everyone needs to do uh, these practices in terms of you know, focusing on, on physical health. That happens to be one of my values. And I'm, I'm proud to say that now I can live out that value and actually do what it is I, I say I'm going to do. Yeah. And I I personally, I kind of agree with you here. I feel like physical health and just, you know, generally being active and getting, um, you know, workouts in regularly doing something active every day helps me mentally as well. I feel like without those two working together, you know, one falls off the rails. Right, right. It's, it's, and it's really about, you know, one can argue about, you know, is this workout better? Is that workout? You can get into the weeds and then the details, but I think what's really important about uh, exercise and where it applies broadly is a sense of agency. So we know that people who have what's called an internal locus of control, people who believe that they their actions can change their situation, an internal lo- locus of control versus an external locus of control, these people do better in life. They're happier, they're more accomplished, they have deeper, more fulfilling relationships. They take action to make their life better. And one of the things that I think exercise does for us, if you do it, is that it has these mental health benefits because it gives you a sense of agency. So even if it's biologically doing nothing for you, there's something about setting out to do what it is you say you're going to do. But I would argue that's across the board with any behavior. Saying you're going to work on that big project for two hours and work on those slides, finish that report, saying you're going to have dinner with your family and not check your phone, Uh, saying you're going to uh, go to the gym and, and, and exercise for 30 minutes, those things build self-efficacy that you teach yourself that you are the kind of person who is indistractable. I love it. 
Tell me about your process for managing email now, because I, I mm-hmm. pay close attention to, you know, your autoresponders and things, you know, I've seen a lot of different evolutions of the different tools you use for scheduling and stuff over the past, you know, five years or so since we first met. Um, so I'm really curious to hear how you're managing email today. You know, do you get notifications? Um, do you check at predetermined intervals? Just tell us about that. Yeah, so this is a technique that has changed my life. Um, And it's a technique that uh, I I found through trial and error. And uh, other folks who have used it, for example, Shane Snow uh, read uh, an advanced copy of the book. Uh, He's another, he's a fellow author. And he said that this technique saves him 90% uh, of his time. He's reduced the time he spends on email by 90%. And so this technique is really simple. What I realized uh, is that the time we waste on email is not the checking or replying. The time we waste on email is the time we spend rechecking email. So every email you receive needs to be touched twice and only twice. The first time you receive it, you label it under two things. Either you label it as uh, something that needs to be dealt with today or something that can wait for this week. Okay, there's only two labels. If it's something you can delete, you just delete it or archive it. Uh, or if it's something super, super urgent, call me right away, then of course, deal with it right away. But for the vast majority of your email, you know, most people don't say your house is on fire over email. They'll call you or, or, or tell you, you know, they'll, they'll text you, let's say. But for email, you put it in those two categories. That's how you use labels. Don't use labels by subject. Use them by how, how uh, urgently they need a reply. Because if you don't do that, what we find people do is they they recheck and recheck and recheck every email six times. (laughs) And that's a gigantic waste of time. So this works after you've done that second step of making time for traction. So in my calendar every day, there is time to reply to urgent messages only. And so I can filter out with one button. I can only see the messages that require a reply today. So I don't need to see all those emails that can wait a little bit. Right, Because remember, the more emails you send, the more emails you will receive. (laughs) So if you want to get less email, you have to send less email. So only return the emails that are actually urgent, that need a reply immediately. So you put time on your schedule, uh, for me it's an hour and a half, of urgent email replies. Okay, Now, the other emails, the emails that can be responded to sometime this week, I have time in my calendar to go through, it's about, I think it's four hours, I, uh, last time I checked here for last week, of time that I spend just on email. I call it Message Mondays, where I plow <laughs> through all those messages that can wait uh, and be replied to sometime that week. Now, what's interesting about that is how many emails you find no longer need a response at all, right? People will continue to carry on their little conversations. They'll solve their own problems. They realize that what was urgent then is not so urgent now, and they'll figure it out for themselves, in which case you don't even need to reply at all, <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's just one of the techniques. There's a lot of other techniques in the book, but I think that's one of the techniques that has saved me a tremendous amount of time is label emails by when they need a response and don't waste your time rechecking emails. Only check emails each, you only touch each email twice. Do you use any specific tools for managing this? Or are you talking literally about like, you know, standard Gmail and then just yeah. labeling and looking in folders? What is that? Standard, like? standard email is a or standard Gmail is a okay. Outlook is fine. I mean, there's other tools and and uh, that you can use out there. Different different email service providers, but um, uh, I wanted to you know have a technique that every single person out there could use. I like it. All right, what's something that you could still improve at today in terms of your own focus? 
So I don't want anybody to think that becoming indistractable means you never get distracted, right? So, so I still struggle with distract. I still go off track, probably on a daily basis, if, if, I, if I'm honest with myself. However, I am conscious of those distractions, and I take steps to make sure I don't get distracted next time. So that's, that's something that I, I, I'm working on every single day, in particular when it comes to my relationship with my wife. Uh, we've been married now for almost 20 years. And uh, a rude awakening I had a few years ago was that I was really not upholding my household responsibilities, that she was doing a lot more than I was. And it wasn't fair because one of my values, and this doesn't have to be anybody else's values, but one of my values is to have a marriage built on equality. That it's really not fair that uh, Julie, like turns out most women in heterosexual relationships, bear uh, a greater share of household and admin duties. And so we had to actually you know, take a, a dose of our own medicine here that I talk about in Indistractable and, and, and Julie helped me with the book. She's actually on the cover of the book uh, that we had to sit down together and synchronize our schedules. And it's something now we do every single week. It only takes us 15 minutes, but that has been a life-changing uh, practice that we, we now do that has greatly improved our relationship. It's something I recommend in the book that people do in their workplace, that they synchronize their schedules with their colleagues and their, their boss, certainly. But we can also do this with uh, the people we love most. Because if we don't do that, we become what's called a residual benefactor. A residual benefactor, this term comes from, from economics, from business. It's the chump who gets whatever's left over when a company goes out of business. <laughs> and if we, you know, we, we always make time for all our other priorities. Work has a place on our calendar and all this other stuff has time on our calendar. But if we don't make time for our family and our household responsibilities, then they become residual benefactors and they deserve a lot better. Great advice. All right, well, Nir, my last question for you today. Um, this one is kind of a selfish one, <laughs> uh, but as, as more people are working remotely from home, um, you know, either from companies that are embracing the remote trend or uh, self-employed people, I think, um, and maybe I'm projecting here, the lines can become even more blurred when it comes to working further into the evenings or starting earlier than I otherwise would um, as compared to when I was in an office environment and, and everyone around you is taken off at 5 p.m. So, what are some of the ways that you would recommend people creating better habits around actually disconnecting from work when you're working from home? Yeah, so I wish I could say this is something you could do all by yourself. Uh, mm. But unfortunately, we work in environments. And work is one of these environments that leads many people to distraction. It actually causes distraction. So one of the most eye-opening uh, pieces of research I came across was around how workplace distraction is a symptom of dysfunctional culture. That it turns out that it's not about the technology, it's not about working remotely or working in an office, it's about the culture where people can talk about their problems. And the companies that can talk about their problems, this is called psychological safety, where people can raise an issue without fear of being fired. When, an, when a work environment has psychological safety, people can figure out this problem just like they can figure out any problem. And so it's really about engendering a, a climate, an environment of psychological safety, giving people an, a place to talk about their problems. And third, leading by example. That, uh, you know, it, it's just like a, a parent who tells their kid, you know, to get off their, their phones and meanwhile they're checking email. So leadership needs to take a, a key role. A great example of this uh, is Slack. Right, so Slack is this group, they, they make a group chat app that a lot of people complain is distracting them all the time and keeps them chained to the workplace. But at Slack, they don't have this problem. And they don't have this problem because of these three criteria that I talked about. 
at Slack, they have psychological safety, right? They allow people to air problems and talk about ways to improve the company. They give them a forum to do it. And leadership makes it a priority. They show people, leadership shows them that they themselves are indistractable. So if you go to Slack company headquarters, you will see in big pink letters written on the walls, it says, work hard and go home. It's one of their company slogans. And everybody from the CEO on down abides by that norm, right? They, they, they walk the walk. And if you go on Slack after work hours or on nights and weekends, you'll get chastised and say, hey, that's not what we do here, right? Remember, work hard, go home. And so it's not as simple as saying, well, this is something you can remedy all by yourself. It does require for many places uh, a shift in company culture is that it's, it's a damn technology because it's not the damn technology. The technology is the proximal cause. The root cause is a sick company culture. Beautiful. All right. I love it. Nir, thank you for joining us. Can you tell everyone listening today where they can go to learn more about you, Indistractable, and everything else that you're up to? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So my blog is nearandfar.com. Nir is spelled like my first name, N-I-R. So N-I-R and far.com. Uh, my book is called Indistractable and you can buy that wherever books are sold. And if you want, there's a lot of free bonuses that I couldn't put into the book. Uh, there's an 80 page workbook that's complimentary that you can get at indistractable.com and that's spelled I N in distract a B L E indistractable.com. Perfect. And we'll link to everything in the show notes as well. Nir, thank you again for joining us. My real, real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. If you enjoyed this episode of the Side Hustle Project, I would love your support. Head on over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating. And as always, you can catch every episode of the Side Hustle Project on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.